Turn to Luke chapter 15 this morning. Luke chapter 15. Hope you're having a good Father's Day so far, and you're in the Lord's house, and that's a good place to start here today uh, in your Father's house, and so we appreciate that. That's a blessing. Uh, We're thankful this week for, uh, of course, our graduates and those that have graduated uh, throughout the uh, church here, and so tonight, actually, we're going to have anybody who's graduated, whether from our school, high school, college. Uh, it's part of the church. We'll have a little short testimony from you tonight. Um, hopefully you show up knowing that, but a short one, just a 30 seconds, something like that, just so we can see and rejoice with you and be proud of all of those uh, that have graduated, uh, and we are. Luke chapter 15, we'll start reading in verse 11. You're probably familiar here with the passage, but the Bible says, and he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land. And he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. And in no more worthy to be called thy son, make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And he said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and in no more worthy to be called thy son. And the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is live again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his elder son came in the field and as he was uh, came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing and he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, thy brother is come and thy father hath killed the fatted calf because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I mightest make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. Let's open up in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're thankful to be able to gather and worship you and praise you. God, as I even think this morning, as the song said, that we can know this morning that you love us, that you hear us, that uh, there's no prayer that you didn't notice There's no one of us that 
that you don't feel for, that you don't care for. And God, might we, uh, might we have spent some time in, in this service worshiping you and praising you? Uh, might we be praising your name even this morning? Uh, God, might you forgive us if we just came this morning with no thought towards you and have been zoned out so far? God, forgive us if that's the case, for you're worthy of our praise and, and our worship. You're worthy to be honored. God, if all we did this morning was give you praise and, and glory and worship, uh, that would be appropriate. So might we, might we be in that attitude? Might you bless your word as we, as we preach it and read from it and, and listen to it? Might you have something for each of us here in this today? Lord, we're thankful for the time, and we love you, and in Christ's name we pray, amen. You're probably familiar, of course, with the story of the prodigal son, and that's what we call this. We call it the, the uh, parable of the prodigal son, and I won't take a raise of hands here today, but I would imagine if I went through and asked many of us to define the word prodigal, we might get a little lost, a few of us, I imagine. It's not a word we use every day, right? We don't go through in any other context. I don't know that I've ever used the word prodigal in any other context than to describe this parable. And so it would be one of those things. You're, you maybe think of the word prodigal and you get the idea of the story. And so you probably, maybe even if you don't know the definition, can make some guesses as to what it means uh, but for this uh, message here and for this passage, I, I, I looked up and, and, and saw the meaning of the word prodigal, and it's to spend money or resources freely and recklessly. It's the idea of being wastefully extravagant. It's one that just pours out indiscriminately, just letting everything flow out. And so we call this Rightfully, the prodigal son, because that's exactly what he does. And if you'll indulge me here a little bit this morning as I explain a passage you probably are very familiar with, there's a purpose to it, uh, and hopefully you'll see what God has at the end for that. But uh, you know the story as the son comes and asks his father for his inheritance and says, I want what is mine now. Now, I think we all understand how inheritances work. You don't get it while the father is still alive. It's not typically how inheritances work. And it was no different then. And no doubt, in our culture, it would be the same. And in that culture, it would have been even worse. To come and say, give me my inheritance now is like saying, I really can't wait for you to die. Now, in our culture, we'd understand that. In that culture, even more. Because uh, you can tell these sons are not going off and, and going to some other plot of land and to some other estate and, and making their own pathway. In that culture, uh, these sons would have been on the same plot, in the same estate, this land, and possessions would have been uh, a heritage from their family name for generations. And so for him to come and say, I want my inheritance now is basically like saying, it'd be nice if you just died or left or just got out of the picture. I mean, it's hugely insulting. It isn't just a desire for money in here. Uh, and we don't read these words, but essentially he's saying, Dad, you're dead to me. 
I mean, there's really not much else there to conclude. And here's what, here's all, that part of the equation is already weird. This whole parable to a Jewish mindset is very strange because that would be unheard of to do. Nobody would do that in that culture, probably not even in ours. And then it gets weirder from there on out because the natural result of that, we would think from a father, if a son comes and he's so immature, so selfish, so heartless that he would come to his dad and say, Dad, I would, it would be better if you were dead so I could get your money now. You would think the father would go, you need a whipping. I don't know how old you are, but if you're 25, you need a whipping at 25 because you need to grow up. This is ridiculous. I mean, that's what we would expect dad to do. But all of a sudden, the equation gets even stranger because he goes, okay, fine. It's yours. And so it says he divided unto them the inheritance. Uh, And he leaves shortly thereafter. The Bible doesn't say he leaves immediately because he couldn't leave immediately. And, And we don't often think this much into this story, but his dad wasn't Scrooge McDuck, if you understand. He's not sitting there in a warehouse full of gold coins. It's not what he gave his son. What he had was land and possessions and cows and he can't take that with him. And so we, we, if you think about it, this man would have had to say, okay, the deed to our family property, to this cattle that we feed everybody with, to whatever possessions were, were valuable to them, all of that now is yours. And he has to go through his city and, and pawn everything that he has. He has to go through, imagine this, and in that culture, hugely offensive for them. He had to go sell his family's land. If you understand Jewish culture, that's a, that's a last resort. That's I'm about to die situation. That's not I want a few more dollars. If you even remember Ahab coming and desiring the vineyard of Naboth, and he goes, I couldn't. I, no matter what the price was, I could never sell my family's land. And he goes and he sells it maybe to the neighbor, the farm next door, and would have been an insult and a blot on their name, dishonors his family, all of that. And so he leaves. And the Bible says he goes into a far country. And I don't know if this is there in the parable, but I can only imagine after that, you want to go far. <laughs> you with me? He has not made friends at home now. Okay? If you've got a good family and your father loves you and your family's good and, you, and, and, and son comes to him and says, Dad, I wish you were dead and disgraces him and dishonors his family and insults them and, and sells what's valuable and precious to them. The, the whole city, the whole town, the, the whole community there would have thought this kid was the biggest loser that ever existed. You with me? He wouldn't have had any friends there. And so he goes far into the far country, and he spirals, as the Bible puts, into riotous living. And we all understand that the math needed here to realize you're burning through money isn't beyond anyone. You understand? We all know how this story plays out. We've seen it time and time again, and maybe some of us here have seen it with those of our loved ones, where they've had some money, and they've spiraled so much that they end up destitute. And we all understand what took place. It wasn't because they woke up one day and went, oh, I forgot how to subtract. That's not what happens, is it? 
where all of a sudden they go, oops, one party too much, I got to let, no. What took place is we've seen it many times in our lives and around us is that each choice led him spiraling further down into destruction to where he couldn't stop himself where he's destroying himself night after night, day after day, and he, it's like he has no more control over it. And then all of a sudden he ends up destitute, broke, nothing. He ruined himself. And the Bible says then he turns and finally starving to death, he turns to somebody there and turns to pig farming. And once again, if you know Jewish culture, you know that's not the desired profession. That to them is the lowest of the low, if you understand. To, to them, the idea that he's going to, the, to pig farming is like basest. It's today, if, I mean, if you heard somebody was so low, they go and they're going to start uh, selling drugs. I mean, that's, that's, that's the end of it. They're out there, they're flipping chickens. It's done, it's over, Okay. Terminology nobody here is familiar with. That's okay. You don't need to know much about me. That's okay. He turns to pig farming, lowest of the low, okay? Insulted himself, disgraced himself, ruined his family. I mean, just horrible. And so finally he goes, I guess the, I'm going to start eating pig's food. Not only would he, a Jew shouldn't even eat the pig, and he goes, I'm going to eat the pig's food. And so he says, you know what? I'll go home and I'll petition my father. I know I'll receive mocking and shame. I know everybody I once knew will hate me. But if I go home, I bet my dad is such a good guy, he'll take me back as a servant. I bet he'll at least let me serve and I cannot starve to death. And I'll have to endure shame and reproach and embarrassment the rest of my life as a servant but at least I won't starve to death. And so he decides to go home. And you can only imagine here in this story that his father must have known this inevitability. If you with me. I think all of us here that are fathers this morning uh, know our children, and no doubt he was the same, where when his son comes and says, give me all this money, he starts liquidizing the assets. I imagine dad knew this ain't going to go long. <laughs> He knew how this was going to play out. Whether he knew he would return home or not, uh, he knew this. He wasn't going to uh, happen upon him later as some successful businessman that made a nice life for himself. He knew how this plays out. And no doubt he had already considered his reaction if his son would return. Uh, no doubt he knew that if he did return, it would be as a disgraced failure. And yet... We know the story. When he sees his son, he runs to greet him. I mean, he grabs him and he embraces him and he kisses his neck and, and hugs him and won't let go. Uh, and we don't have time to explore all of the meaning in that, but it's so amazing. Uh, even in Jewish culture, the idea that as a patriarch and an older man, he would run even is significant. There's meaning even in that, that there's a thought even in that culture and in Eastern cultures uh, uh, important people don't run for anybody. You with me? And so he comes and he runs and he kisses him and he's weeping. Uh, he doesn't wait for the son to run to him. He runs to his son. And just amazing 
probably had others seen him, it would have almost been humiliating. You with me? It would have almost been like others would have said, man, what a weak father. That his son takes advantage of him, wastes his goods, insults him so much we we can't even dream of somebody doing that. And then he returns home and his father abases himself and runs to him, just opens his arms for him. What a weak, sentimental father would be thought. But that's what he does. He desires him. His son had basically wished death on him, insulted him by selling his inheritance, and yet the father is above board accepting. And we see the son has planned this speech expecting to grovel and apologize. He's expecting to bow himself and kiss his father's feet, but instead is embraced and kissed. Uh, And so much so he can't refuse. He has no choice but to accept his father's love. Uh, And you even see the picture that, 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 that this father's love is so mighty upon him that if you remember and you go back and you read his first speech was, I'm no longer worthy to be called thy son. Make me a servant. And when he comes and finally speaks to his dad and his dad's hugging him and kissing him, he says those words, but he leaves out the servant part. Because he already knows by his father's reaction of love that that is not what's happening here. So awesome of what takes place. And so the father brings this robe, this ring, kills the fatted calf. And once again, you should explore the significance of that and uh, the shoes even that a servant wouldn't have probably worn shoes uh, uh, in those days. The robe signifying Uh, 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 a stature and a place in society above a servant, that the idea of making his son a servant was not even in the father's mind. It wasn't even a possibility. He never, the idea was, he comes in rags and shoeless, and the father says, this is ridiculous. This is not for my son. Get some shoes, get a robe. Come on. He goes and says, put the ring on him. And no doubt that probably signified the idea of this a family connection. It probably wasn't just a piece of jewelry. Probably signifies that not only is he not a servant, but that he's back in the family. I mean, that's awesome. And we can see from the very first moment, and here's what's so amazing. The father doesn't request any apologies. He doesn't ask for anything in return. He doesn't say, well, you've got a lot of making up to do. I mean, none of that. He doesn't say, we'll do a little trial. We'll see how this works, bud. I don't know if I can trust you again. None of that happens. He just says, you're instantly, the fact that you came home is it. You're back. You're back in right where you were. Robe, shoes, prestige, ring, you're part of the family. You're no different. Immediately. And kills the calf. Here's what's awesome. He kills the calf and he makes a feast. Because even for the father, the idea that his son would be accepted by him again as the son was not enough. He says, I don't want him to live believing that the, uh, have the whole community here, all these servants and my children and whoever else is in the town or society we're in here. I don't want them thinking he's some lower class. We're going to make it known. 
get the calf, make a feast. Everybody's going to know that my son is my son. Man, it's awesome, isn't it? And I don't know if you see already, but you see the picture of a good father here. And then the story turns to the older son who's working away in the fields. I think he's working away in the fields that he now owns. If you were to look back at verse 12, when the younger son comes and says, give me my inheritance, the Bible says he divided unto them his inheritance. It's kind of interesting, and it's possible that the father just said, okay, fine, sons, here's what you got. And it could very well be that the older son is now working and just his father is now just the patriarch that's deferred to for his stature in the family, but that the younger son actually has ownership. Verse 31, the, the, the father says, all that I have is thine. And it could be that this older son is now working and maintaining and, and holding together everything that is, and he becomes furious that his brother would receive so much forgiveness. Essentially, from the older son's perspective, the father had just wasted the, his possessions on blessing the one that rejected the family. You follow? He says, all that I have is thine. Well, then you just gave him my stuff. He's not cool with that. He says, I'm the one laboring. I'm the one holding this together. I'm the one that served you faithfully, even though apparently I don't have to. You with me? If it's okay that his younger brother didn't, he's doing it by choice now, not by obligation, apparently. And he says, I do all of this, and I'm faithful to you, and and." And you spend what is basically mine now on, on the guy that betrayed us all. And he's kind of looking at his father. He goes, are you kidding? It's been me and you for these years. I'm keeping this together. In fact, I'm providing for you now. And you're going to go take what is basically mine and waste it on this kid? I mean, where's he been at? Are you kidding? But if you understand the story... And you understand what Jesus is talking about. That's who the story is written to. If you were to back up to verse 1 of Luke chapter 15, you'd realize how all this begins. This parable has a context. And it says, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and the sinners to hear him. All these sinners and wicked, all these younger brothers were there listening to him. And the Bible says, and the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And then Jesus says, it says he's told three parables there. And this is the third in the list. And he talks about those that go out and spend all that they have to get the, the last one that's missing and, and in the other parables. And we won't look at those. But this is the third of those three parables. But who this comment is directed towards is the older brothers. This parable is for them. We read the story of the prodigal son and no doubt a very apt application for it is that if you're the prodigal, come to him. What a wonderful application. He'll always receive you back. That no matter how far in the far country you've gone, he's willing to take you back and he's got a robe and a ring and shoes and you're in. What a wonderful thing. But that's not who Jesus is talking to when he says this. 
He's talking to the older brother. These were these religious and pious Jews. But Jesus says, you don't get it. The younger son, he's here. He'll run. He's coming. When I come and I present to him and he knows my arms are open, he's in them. He says, you're the one that's in trouble. You're, you're the one that thinks you're done right and you're good. The one that thinks you've got everything together. You're the one that thinks you deserve my blessing. He says, you're the one in need of repentance today. That's what this parable's for. He says, the one that's, here's what's amazing. The parable is the younger son's in this feast. He's been accepted. He's receiving the love and the blessing of his father. And it's the older son that thinks he's the best. He's the one on the outside looking in. He's the one outside in the cold going, where's my feast? And the father's coming out and saying, listen, come in. Rejoice. Change your attitude. Change what you're thinking. Repent of this and join us. That's the parable. And so I think today, no doubt, a proper application would be if you're lost today and you've been in the far country and your life's a mess and things are, you've ruined it all and you think God would never want you back, the prodigal son is a testimony he does. Oh, how awesome. But you know what happens maybe even more often is that we sit in church and go, no, you know what? I've done right. I'm a pretty good person. I feel like I deserve God's blessings. I'm not sure why everybody else is getting blessed, but they really deserve to be on me. And Jesus is saying this. If your attitude today is, I think I'm going to stand before God and be okay, he's saying, you don't, you don't get it. <laughs> You're not quite understanding. You need repentance. If your attitude here is, I don't know why other people are getting blessed, and I've served God. Maybe you're saved, and you say, I've served God, and I've done right, and I've tried to do my best, and it seems like God's blessing everybody else, and I'm left out in the cold, and God's saying, no, no, you don't get it. Come in. It's open for you. Change your mind. It's, it's right that others would receive blessing. It's right that they would uh, 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 be accepted of me. Why don't you come in too? The ones on the outside there, the older brother, he was the one holding a grudge, steeped in pride. He was the one refusing to join the party. It wasn't because he wasn't invited. And so Jesus is speaking to the older brothers, the religious, the pious, the ones that go, why am I not blessed? And he's saying, how about instead of that, you remember that God loves you too and all that he has is yours and come rejoice. Come join the party, in other words. And this isn't even the entirety of the message, but I just want to take a moment and just remind you all, God has saved you and me. He's died for you. You're in. <laughs> And the fact that he would accept others or that others are blessed or that others receive his grace, man, it ought to be that you're down part of the party rejoicing with them. There ought not be one of us that's re received salvation that sits outside going, this is so dumb, God's not even blessed me enough, I don't know. 
Why are those people happy and I'm not? What's the deal, God? Come join the party. He says, all that I have is thine. (laughs) You've already got it all. You say, well, I'm not blessed today. You will be blessed plenty. (laughs) It's all there. Come join the party. Come rejoice for the souls that are being saved and changed and blessed. But the story isn't actually about the younger son. And it's actually not about the older son. It's to the older son, but it's not about the older son. The story's about the father, if you understand. That's who the story's about. And this is a story about a good father. We call it the parable of the prodigal son, the son who recklessly and extravagantly spent his goods. But can I tell you to the older son, you know what this was a story of? A prodigal father. You see that? To the older son, it was the father who wasted his goods, giving it to what he knew was a foolish brother. It was his father that was wastefully extravagant in that this this fool would return home and he would give to him again. Now, we don't read this in the story, but you and I know these people, okay? We know how what happens from here forward. We know that the type of person that comes and takes a all of their possessions and disgraces their family and goes get steeped into wickedness and wasted on riotous living, they don't just one day flip a switch and they're good from life on out. We know that's not how it goes, okay? Let's not be naive. Older brother knows what we know today. Younger son comes home and he wants more money. We know where it's going. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but this ain't gonna be a linear trajectory. You get what I mean? He's not good from here on out in in the real world. In the real world, younger brother's going to slip and he's going to make the same mistake again. Maybe to a minor degree. But that's what the older brother's thinking. He's thinking, he's not thinking prodigal son. He's thinking prodigal father. (laughs) Why would you spend all this? Why would you waste? Why would you, first of all, why would you give this inheritance to a fool And why would you give him more when he returns? But here's what's awesome. And this is the story here. It's the story of a father, and it's the story about a father whose love is prodigal, if you will. It's a story about a father who says, it doesn't matter. There is not too much that my son could ask from me. A good father is not accounting what is wise for him when he deals with his children, is he? And we're here on Father's Day, and here we read about a father, and maybe many of us would look at this father, maybe like the older son, and would go, what an idiot. He gave his inheritance away, then he gives him more. What a fool. How silly. Can I tell you what? This is a story about a father whose love is prodigal, recklessly spending for his son. You'd say, that's kind of foolish. I don't know if you know this, but like fatherhood in general is kind of foolish. If you're a father, you understand. There's, if you're doing it right, it's not for your benefit. It's not a wise accounting. 
You understand? If you have children and you're a father and you're doing it right on paper, this does not equal your benefit at the end. Okay? I have four children. At the end of the day, having children does not equal my monetary benefit, my time benefit, my mental patience benefit, sanity. I mean, the list goes on and on. I'm fatter because I have kids. I mean, it just goes, it's just on and on. But a good father recklessly spends. He spends his best years. He spends his wealth and possessions to bless his children. A good father lays aside his desires and his aspirations to spend for the good of his children. A good father is willing to say, you know what? Sometimes a little rebuke's necessary and they're going to hate me but I'll spend it recklessly for their good. That's a good father. A good father gives. Oh, this doesn't mean we don't correct or punish. In fact, it costs us more to correct our children than it does to leave them alone, doesn't it? But the good father spends whatever is needed to make sure his children are right. Recklessly. As a pro, like, I mean, as prodigal, why would you keep giving? The good father will end up broke, homeless, and dead before he leaves his children undone. Before, uh, 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 before his children are destitute, he will be. If there's anything more he can do for his children, it'll be done to his last breath. That's the good father. That's the role of a father. That's what you signed up for by having kids is that if there's still one molecule left in your body, you will spend it if it means good for your kids. By good, I don't mean necessarily physical blessing. I mean that they're going to be all right, that they're going to be serving the Lord, that they're going to be successful, that they're going to be able to make it, that you've taught them and imparted unto them all that they need to be able to survive as a believer in this world. And this is a story actually about a father, and I don't want to miss this opportunity to say, be that kind of father. Be the kind of father that ought to know when it's time for discipline or for, the, for a child to be received with thanksgiving. Be the kind of father that will spend everything for the good of your children. I wish that was what was normal. But we live in a world where half of all children grow up without a dad. And of that half, a great amount have a sorry excuse for a father, to be honest. We know that's true in our society. Can I tell you what? Be the prodigal father. Be the father that'll give all. Can I tell you, if you have one, what a good day to thank them. Because you're lucky. You're blessed beyond measure if you have a father that you know would give up anything for your good. Maybe you're an adult here and you go, I know there were times that it killed my dad to reprimand me. I mean, I told him I hated him or I was unkind to him, but he sacrificed that for my good so I would learn. Can you thank him today? That he was reckless enough with his own feelings, with his own desires, with what he would have rathered for your good? And I tell you what, there's probably many fathers here today 
that have a whole lot less than they could have had because you exist. Man, thank them today. Be thankful for that. But actually, the story is not about a physical father, is it? It's not who Jesus is talking about. He's not saying be good dads here in this story. This is Father's Day, so it's a great parenthetical, but that's not the story. The story's not to the, to the Pharisees to be good dads. Jesus is trying to communicate what kind of a father he is to them. He's trying to explain who God is. He's trying to give them a picture of what the heavenly father is like. And so as we look at this story, we even think of uh, verse 21 where it's the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight and no more worthy to be called thy son. And he's got this plan in his mind and he's going to come to his dad and he's going to just repent and, and, and ask forgiveness and grovel and beg That's his attitude. And and picture yourself in this scene here with your heavenly father. You've wronged God and you know it. You you feel like you're going to come to God and you know you need to grovel and admit you're wrong. You're going to come to God and make all kinds of promises. You're going to come and just beg him to forgive you. You've got this plan. Maybe this morning even you know you've been in sin and you know you need to come to God and just get down in your face and go, God, I've wronged you and beg. Would you just allow me to serve you? Maybe you got all promises. I'm going to come to God. I'm going to promise him I'll be in church every service. I'm going to promise him I'll never turn back to this sin. I'm going to promise him I'll do right. And here's what he wants to show you about him. As you approach him, as you step out and you begin to walk towards him, he's not waiting there with a judging look saying, grovel. He runs to you. He runs to you and says, the fact that you would come back, you're accepted. You're here. You're in. Not as a servant. No, no, no. It's not, it's not go down and feed the, feed the sheep. And, and No, that's not the idea. You're my son. And he runs and says, you're accepted. Here's the ring. Here's the robe. And you say, I'm not worthy. He says, I know. But you're my son and I love you. This morning, if you know you've been in sin, you might feel like, I don't know if I could promise enough. I don't know if I could grovel enough. If you get out of that seat, can I promise? He runs to you. That's how much he loves you. That's the kind of father he is. Man, if you're distant from him, maybe you're lost. Maybe you're just in sin and you're backslidden. Would you just step out? Because my God, my father runs to you. But it also says he'll do what's necessary in the lives of his believers. The, younger, the older son says, why are others blessed when I have to uh, uh, work so hard? They've sinned and they get the blessing and, I, and I'm faithful and I have to suffer. And the father says to the older son, he's not forgotten. It's not that he doesn't matter. He says, you're ever with me and all that I have is thine. In other words, he's a good father. He will reward. You will be blessed. Maybe here today you're struggling with the idea of, yeah, I get that if I walk away from him and I come back, he's going to accept me with open arms, but I've not walked away. I feel like I'm suffering and I'm under persecution and life's hard for me, and all I've done is try to be faithful. Why has God not blessed me? Can you see the passage here? All that I have is thine. Oh, it's not forgotten. 
Oh, there'll be a reckoning day. Oh, one day you will stand before him and blessing will be outpoured. You will be blessed. Your reward is settled. Do not think he doesn't see. He's a good father that loves. And you say, why does this one get the blessing and this one doesn't? Because he's the father. That's his decision to make. But he's a good father. And everything will be properly rewarded at the end. But he says, listen, to the, older, to the younger son, he says, I know where you're at. And the arms are open. Come in. To the older son, he says, listen, it is right that we would rejoice over any that would come in. It is right that I would bless them. Would you join the party? Would you be part of it? Would you come in and rejoice together with us? Would you lay aside your pride and your anger and your bitterness towards your brother, towards the world, towards me, because I haven't given you what you think you deserve? And would you just come in and join the party? We don't have time, and I don't want to go into this and explore all of this, but so many Christians are bitter because God hasn't given them what they think they deserve. So many Christians are bitter because they see so-and-so gets blessed more than me. Can I tell you what? It's all going to be accounted for. What God wants is for you to lay aside your pride. Get over that offense. Stop being angry at your younger brother. Stop being bitter at the Heavenly Father and just come join the party. Lay it at the altar and rejoice together that you have a God that will accept us. Accept him as a good father. That might be in, in just forgiveness for sin, for anger, for bitterness. It might be in salvation. I don't know where you're at today. But in Father's Day, I couldn't help but think of the fact that God is our heavenly father. And God just directed me to the story of, if you will, if you'll allow me this much liberty, the prodigal father. The one who will give recklessly. And can I tell you what? He's an example of a good father. That he'll give to each of us a reckless amount of love. Can I tell you what? The fact that he's loved us and poured grace out to us has never been any benefit to him. It has not helped him at all. He's not advantaged because we get saved or call upon him or, or receive his blessings. No, 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 that's for you and me. Because he'll recklessly spend his love for us. Would you just come back to him? Would this morning, would you just step out? Whether you're the older son or the younger son, it doesn't matter. If you step out, he runs to you. Would you meet him today? Would you be saved if you need? Would you repent if you need? Would you come back if you need? Would you know the love of a good father? Stand to our feet and bow our heads.